At the top of that handout, it says Reviving Prayer, and you'll also see our text for this evening from God's Word, James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. And uh, I'm going to be reading out of the New King James tonight. And uh, so if you've got some word differences, that's what I'm reading from. But John, James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18, I want to talk to you about reviving prayer. Reviving prayer. You heard the team members talk a little bit this evening about how God had been working their lives in light of prayer. And I do want you to know this. I, I tell these 18, 19, 20-year-olds all the time, we have no business going around the country ministering the Word of God to, to thousands of people and many churches in the name of revival if we're not going to be a people of prayer. And so I do want you to know one of the greatest things we're trying to teach them, and by the way, we're kind of like a Bible institute on wheels. They, they get Bible classes during the day. We minister at nights. We minister to Christian schools. It's a gap year program. And one of the greatest things we want these young people to leave after their year with us is to learn how to pray and to restore intimacy with God and keep restoring intimacy with God and then be used by God. And so they pray on the average about three hours a day. Uh, they will pray anywhere from an hour and a half in the mornings uh, they will pray usually 45 minutes to an hour after lunch, and then they pray about an hour before the service in the evenings. And then on top of that, some of them choose to fast on given days and or set aside multiple hours to pray. And, and so we're thrilled to see that. Because one thing that I want them to see as we're traveling around the country, I, I tell them this all the time, we get up and sing our songs, we can do drama, and they'll be doing some dramas tomorrow night and Tuesday night, and we can do our thing, and nothing will happen. And, and, and while God's word doesn't return void and God's, the power of God is in the gospel and in the message of the gospel, God wants to use a spirit-filled people. And so it must be backed by prayer. And so if we're not praying, we, we just should probably go back home. And so I want you to know, we're teaching them to pray. And tonight, one of the greatest things on our heartbeat for your church, I, I really don't know anything about anyone's prayer life. I don't know anything about your corporate prayer life. I haven't talked to Kivit about that. But around the country, we're seeing a massive deficit in Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in this area of prayer. And we all know how tempting it is to go back to self-reliance, to working and working and working in the name of Jesus, but very rarely praying without ceasing in the name of Jesus. And tonight we hear from James under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He did not trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior until after the resurrection. He became the first pastor of the church there in Jerusalem, which was a pretty large church because 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. Uh, just a little time later, we see 5,000 more. So a lot of believers are gathered there in Jerusalem, and James is their under-shepherd under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Church history says they nicknamed James Old Camel Knees. And the reason he was nicknamed Old Camel Knees is because the hours he spent on his knees in prayer. Church history also tells us that James was eventually martyred he was taken to the top of the temple. He was thrown off because he would not stop preaching in the name of Jesus and preaching the gospel of Jesus, and he fell to his death. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James tells us something pretty incredible tonight about prayer, and James is kind of a straight shooter. He just says what he's going to say, and he moves on. You know, Paul will say it, and he's kind of like me, and he'll say it again, and he'll say it again, and he'll say it again. James is not like that. He gets straight to the point, moves on. He means business. And then he moves on to the next topic, and he does it tonight in relation to prayer. And I want you to see why that's such a marvel. Look with me, James chapter 5, verse 13. James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, I'm just giving you the context tonight. I'm not going to preach on those verses. I'm preaching on the verses that are coming next. That is a complicated passage of Scripture, and uh, I'm going to leave that to your pastor to interpret for you as he preaches uh, these passages. But what James does tell us next, which I think we can all emphatically agree on, is this. Take a look halfway through verse 16. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, and we can say or woman, or teenager or child who knows Christ, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he stops for a moment. Let me suggest this. That one verse alone, if we had no other verses on prayer in the Bible, if we had no other promises about prayer, and here's the thing, we've got hundreds of them, If we didn't have a single verse on prayer beyond this one, that's enough to cause the prayer meeting to be full. Old Leonard Ravenhill, the old revivalist, he said this, if you want to know how popular a church is, come on Sunday morning. If you want to know how popular the pastor is, come on Sunday night. If you want to know how popular God is, come to the prayer meeting. Now I want to say this, prayer meetings have fallen on hard times in the American church Statistics tell us that only 2% of believers share their faith. So witnessing has fallen on very hard times. We're all really good at complaining about how bad the news is and how sin has taken over, but we're not really upset over the fact that the only people that can share the cure are the people who've received the cure. That's the gospel, but only two out of 100 are sharing it. The only thing worse than not sharing the gospel in the American church in these days is prayer meetings. In fact, I had one pastor look at me and said, oh yeah, we don't do prayer meeting anymore. Uh, and, I, and by the way, I don't know if y'all have a corporate prayer meeting or not. That's irrelevant. Uh, I know you have small groups and people get together and pray. All I'm saying is this, prayer meetings have fallen on a hard time with believers. And I had one pastor look at me and said, oh yeah, we quit doing the prayer meeting a long time ago. He said, it wasn't worth the utility bill. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, no one came. Now, I'm not an expert, but I've been in the church my whole life. I got saved at the age of five, and I remember growing up, looking at the church bulletin, and every week I would look in the church bulletin at my Bible-believing, independent, Baptist, fundamental, gospel-preaching church, and it said every Tuesday night there would be door-to-door visitation. And I remember one day I looked at that and I thought, I wonder what that's all about. So I decided to show up. I showed up to an empty parking lot except for the pastor's car. And I walked over to him and I said, now I understand this is where we go around and we tell lost people about Jesus. And I said, now are we waiting on other people? He said, no, I'm just glad you came. I said, well, does anybody else ever come? He goes, well, sometimes deacon so-and-so comes, but it's only because his wife made him feel bad. But it's in the bulletin every week. It's almost like the great commission has become the great omission. But outside of door-to-door visitation, you want to know how you get the least amount of people to come to church? In the American church, in most American churches, it'll happen almost every time. All you got to do is call a prayer meeting. And you'll have the least amount of people every time. I've been a pastor for over 25 years. Almost every church I pastored, except for a church I pastored in Luray, Virginia, where we had about a four-year revival. Outside of that church, almost every time I've called a prayer meeting, you can go ahead and plan that it's going to be the least attended meeting. 
what we're finding is, is in the American church, we all know we're in need of revival. We're in need of spiritual awakening. We realize that many American churches have grown Laodicean and lukewarm. But I'll tell you, very few Christians are interested in prayer. And what's astounding by that is, is you would say, well, do we know anything about prayer? We know tons about prayer. We've heard sermons on prayer. We've read books on prayer. We can listen to podcasts on prayer. And if we didn't have a single verse outside the one we just read, here's what James tells us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is backed by the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God. The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You mean, you say, what does that mean? Ian Bounds put it this way. Prayer is the nerve that moves the muscle of God. If you want to see... God's kingdom come and God's will be done and God's power flow through your church and through your life and you get on board with the redeeming plan of God, you've got to pray. God has designed it in such a way that he works through the intercession and the prayers of his people. But we're just not interested. I remember back when I was a teenager, back in the early 90s, and I grew up here in North Carolina and I never will forget, I went to a Christian school over in Ramsour, North Carolina, and during those days, the Supreme Court and uh, everybody was up in arms about the Ten Commandments. They were taking the Ten Commandments out of the public schools. They were taking the Ten Commandments uh, out of courthouses, and everybody was up in arms, and it went all the way to Supreme Court. And I never forget during that time, I was at my Christian school, and I was walking around the hallways, and it dawned on me, while everybody's fussing that we don't have the Ten Commandments up at public schools, I can't find a copy around our Christian school. <laughs> So we left as our senior gift to our Christian school a copy of the Ten Commandments, and it hung in, hung in the hallway for years. You say, where am I heading with that? We were all upset that they had taken Ten Commandments out of school, and I can just say this, about 25 years later, we've just about taken prayer out of the church. Someone once put it this way, the most astonishing thing on planet Earth is a prayerless Christian. Someone that has complete access, Jesus, our great high priest, we go boldly into the throne room of grace in our time of need, yet we're not doing it, we're not using it, we don't seem to have time for it. I'm amazed, sometimes I'll get around preachers and things like that, and, and, and sometimes uh, you can get around in the Christian realm, and the secular realm, and people are doing name dropping. Well, I know so-and-so. Well, I know so-and-so. Well, I got so-and-so's autograph. Oh, yeah, here's a picture with me and so-and-so. And we like to do the, all this name dropping with all these important people. Let me tell you something. I talked with Jesus Christ this morning. There's a name drop. <laughs> Man, I'd love to go to the White House and meet so-and-so, or, or I'd like to meet this person. Forget all that. This stuff is passing away. You've got access to the throne room of grace at all times. No wonder the Bible says, pray without ceasing. James says, I want to let you know something. When you get on board with your prayer life, watch out. God will show up and show his glory off. And then he gives an astounding illustration. It blows my mind every time. Notice what he says in verse 17. He said, oh, if you don't believe me that God works powerfully through prayer, don't you guys remember from the Old Testament? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly. By the way, notice that word earnestly. There's nothing lukewarm about that. He prayed earnestly. He meant business, that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. 
Now, every time I read that, I get a little upset with James. You say, why do you get upset? I want to look at him and go, James, that's one of those outrageous Old Testament examples. That kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. Why would you tell a New Testament believer that? You know why I think? Because James still believes it happens. James goes, God works the impossible through his people when they're on their knees. He goes, the same God of the Old Testament, he hadn't changed in the New Testament. God believes in the power of prayer. God believes in what he wants to do through his people in prayer. God believes that the effective, fervent prayers of a New Testament righteous believer availeth much. Now get on your knees and let's get to praying. So tonight I want to talk to you about what it looks to revive our prayer lives. Hey, as we walk through this little survey of prayer tonight, I'm not going to tell you anything you probably don't know. But I want to stir you in the things that we have been told from God's Word. Here's some foundational truths. Number one, we know and serve the one true God. Now, in just a moment, there's some blanks that you can fill out, and we'll get to those in a moment, but I just want to lay some groundwork. You and I know and serve the one true God. Now, that's enough to cause us to pray. Uh, years ago, uh, you saw the young man up here. This is Boom that was standing back here. He's from Thailand. In fact, his parents graduated from Piedmont years ago, uh, around the same time that uh, my, uh, I did and, and Rick did, and it, it was part of that era. And, and, and they lived in Thailand, and, and I went and spent about a month over there on a mission trip. And it was my first time in a very idolatrous culture where they worship Buddha. And there were Buddhist statues everywhere, and I never forget Boom's dad he took us to this Buddhist monastery, and, and there was this Buddha about half the length of this auditorium, and, and the Thai people were walking up, and they were pouring bottles of water on this Buddha statue and catching it in a bowl. And I looked at Ed, Boom's dad, I said, why are they doing that? He said, they believe if the water touches that statue, they can take it home, and it will heal their loved ones. Now, you and I look at that and go, that's crazy. That is a man-made statue. It has no healing power. There is nothing real about this. This is an idol. This is not the one true God. But then I want you to imagine if one of the Thai people that were used to doing that heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they repented of their sin, and they trusted in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and now they've got a relationship with God, and they had that eternal life that Joe so beautifully talked about tonight, and then we bring them to America. So I've got this new Thai convert, we're in America, and they're like, man, let's go down to North Carolina. I hear that's something like the Bible Belt. Like, what does that mean? I said, it means that there's a church on every corner. Oh, I want to see that, because over in Thailand, you can drive for hours and can't find any churches. So we're coming down here to America, and to North Carolina, and we're driving around, and man, there's a church sign, and there's a church sign, and there's a church sign. And this new Thai convert looks at me, this new Buddhist convert looks at me, who's now a Christian, and they say, man, let's go to one of their Sunday morning services. And they walk into Salem Baptist Church, like, like we did this morning, and they see all of you, they're like, I have never been around this many believers in my life. Wow. Well, after the service, they're all excited. And then they pull me over to the side and said, hey, I hear they got prayer meetings. I want to go to one of those. I'm like, oh, Okay. Well, let's look at their bulletin and find out when that is. And let's say we're at such and such church and they have a prayer meeting or a prayer time. So then we show up with the five other people who came. And this new Buddhist convert who's now a Christian looks at me and goes, did they not tell everybody about the prayer meeting? Oh, no, it's been the bulletin for weeks. It's on the website. It's on the PowerPoint. The whole bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, do they not like prayer? Oh, this has been going on for years. Well, well did, did they ever preach about prayer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we got books on prayer. Hey, Pastor Mark, over in my country, they line up in droves to pour water on a statue. I now know the one true God through Jesus Christ, and all these people do too. We got access to God. Don't they know that? Yeah, they know it. And then all of a sudden, they look up at me and go, do they believe it? Can I just say something to you tonight? If I don't say anything else on prayer tonight, this one should shake us. You and I know, have access to, and serve the one true God. And let me just say this too, because it's the evangelist's job to blow in, blow up, and blow out, but yet not cause your pastor problems. Because we have access, it's worth turning the TV off for. I was walking around not too long ago, and all of a sudden, I mean, I don't even watch that much TV. I don't even have time to watch TV. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just convicted me and said, imagine if you had, you're getting ready to turn 44 years old, imagine if you had back all the hours that you sat in front of a television and you had invested it in prayer. And all of a sudden, I was just overwhelmed with, wow, I wish I had that time back. We know and serve the one true God. And let me throw a few other things out to you. The Bible says, and we looked at it this morning, in Christ, I'm his adopted child, which means the moment I get saved, he not only saves me from the penalty power and one day the presence of sin, God the Father, through Jesus, adopts me as his own. Just like Mephibosheth with David. David looked at Mephibosheth, Saul's ancestor, and said, you can always have a seat at my table. I always have a seat at the Father's table because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for me. I am his son. Now, I got four kids, and I want to tell you something. If I got a lot of people waiting to talk to me for some reason, and I'm talking to them, but one of, the, one of the Hopkins kids walks up and says, Dad, I got an emergency. I need you now. I'm telling everybody standing in line, goodbye. They belong to me. God says, now you are mine in Christ. You're a son and daughter of the king. You're never nagging him. You're never bothering him. You got full access through Christ. You can come boldly before his throne anytime. He has promised to listen and answer. And then as you heard a team member say tonight, God answers all prayer. Yes, no, wait. You know what? I always hear Christians say, oh, God didn't answer my prayer. That's not true. God answers all prayer. You know, a lot of times in Christendom, we, we say this, oh, I'm so excited because God answered my prayer, meaning we got a yes. We act like the no and waits aren't answers, but they're answers. And Jesus said this, if you've got earthly fathers who are imperfect, but know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more your heavenly father knows how to give us what we need? How many of you are parents? How many of you have ever said no to your child? How many of you believe that was a good thing? Yeah. How many of you are grandparents? I would ask you if you've ever said no to your grandkids, but you've never done that. My parents, after my kids were born, I started watching my parents as grandparents. I'm like, who are these people? I don't know if I've said yes to my kids more than no or no more than yes, but I can tell you this. There's been a many a times I've told my kids no, and it was a good answer. And there's been many a times I've told my kids, wait, and that was a good answer. In fact, my first 
time really understanding this happened right across the street in that parking lot over in the dorm room over there. Here I was, a student over here at Piedmont Bible College. I was a youth pastor there at my home church. Kivet at that time was in the youth group. God was working. I was excited about ministry and life, but I knew I wasn't called to singleness, and I was praying for a godly woman who would partner with me and be a pastor's wife. And so Piedmont Bible College in those days was also Piedmont Bridal College. And I was on the look, scoping things out. And I won't mention her name since I'm here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, but there was this girl here on campus, and I thought, that's the one. So every night I would finish my studies and I would go to sleep. I'm telling you, for two weeks straight, I was walking with the Lord. I was in a good place with the Lord. I was, I was youth pastor in my home church. I was studying the scriptures. I wanted a good thing. And I begged God for two weeks. Now God put it on her heart. She needs to know that I'm a good thing. She never got the memo. And I won't tell you what her name was. But it's not the name of the woman that God did give me. Why? Because sometimes God's best replies to our prayers are a no and wait. So God answers all prayer. No prayer is wasted unless it's asked amiss. But a prayer prayed in the will of God for the glory of God, God is in tune with our prayers. Now, what is prayer? Well, James says here, the effective fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. What is this thing called prayer? Well, the actual Greek word many times that is used for prayer in the New Testament means that prayer is an exchange of desires. Prayer is an exchange of desires or an exchange of wishes. Many times you'll pick up a devotional book and it'll, it'll, it'll define prayer this way. Prayer is talking with God. Prayer is communication with God. That is true, but I want to suggest this. Prayer is far deeper than that, and just talking with God is not what prayer alone is. It is that, but it's more. The actual word means an exchange of wishes. It carries with it this idea. That many times, while God may change our circumstances through prayer, the greatest thing God wants to do in prayer is to change us. In other words, one of the most self-denying things we can do is get on our hands and knees and pray. Because when we truly pray in the Spirit, in the power of Christ, we're saying, just like Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Our Father which art in heaven, not my name be hallowed, not my agenda be hallowed, not my vision be hallowed, your name be hallowed. Not my kingdom come, not my will be done, but your kingdom come, your will be done. Oh, oh, Lord, this isn't my church, it's your church. You bled for it, you died for it, your will through our church, your kingdom through our church. Oh, and by the way, Lord, could you give me today what I need? I need some daily bread, not so I can spend it on my lust but so that I can do your will. And then Jesus ends the model prayer with, oh, by the way, get back to praising. Glory be to him. Your will be done. You get all the glory. You see, true prayer is an exchange of desires. It says this, God, I'm bringing to you what's on my heart, but before I get up off my knees, the greatest thing I need is what was on your heart. So with an open Bible, by the Spirit working through the Word, we want to pray in the will of God, and we want to get up off our knees, not with, wow, I told God everything that was on my mind, but that there was an exchange. God, here's my needs, here's my desires, but God, I in turn listen to you. I was open to you, and I'm getting up 
off my knees, walking in your will, walking in alignment. True prayer is an exchange of desires. Now, I think that might be one of the greatest reasons we've given up on prayer. Prayer is hard work. It's not because getting access to the Father's heart, Jesus already taken care of that. It's that in order for us to truly pray, we've got to say no to self. We've got to say no to what we want and yes to what God wants. It's a heart realignment. True prayer and exchange of desires. I love what George Mueller, my spiritual hero, said. He had over 50,000 recorded answers to prayer. And George Mueller said that the way he truly got himself set up for prayer each day is he would spend an hour in the Word and let the Word of God direct his mind and thoughts so that then he would get on his knees and true prayer would follow. Because he'd aligned himself to the heart of God in the Word, he now could have proper prayer with God because of heart alignment and exchange of desires. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that someone looked at you and said, hey, I'm going to give you a free ticket to go talk to the wisest person in existence. So you get this ticket, you fly over to whatever country that is in, you stand in line, you're waiting to get 30 minutes with the wisest person on planet Earth. You go into the room, you finally get your opportunity, you come out, one of us is standing there beside of you and go, how did it go? You're like, well, I don't really know. Well, what happened? Well, for 29 and a half minutes, I did all the talking. And for 30 seconds, they talked. So I didn't really get much out of it. Can I run this by you? Sometimes in prayer, we bore ourselves because we're doing all the talking, setting all the agenda, and not letting the Spirit of God work through the Word of God in our hearts as we wait on the Lord, as we listen to the Lord, as we yield ourselves to the Lord. My most exciting times in prayer are not what I had to tell God. It's what God had to tell me by His Spirit through His Word, working in my life. An exchange of desires. Now, what are some reasons to pray tonight? Let's talk about these real quick. Well, first of all, God has already promised that he works powerfully through prayer. God works powerfully through prayer. James says, I want to let you know, the spiritually energized, boiling hot of the Spirit, that's what the word fervent means, the effective, fervent, spiritually energized, Word of God-centered and saturated prayers of a person walking in an intimacy with God, like we talked about this morning, availeth much. God works powerfully through prayer. My son is feels called to be a pastor, and he's 19 years old, and right now he's doing his college work online, and he's serving at a church in Tennessee, and that church has been going through a revival. And it's interesting to hear the story because it happened at the outbreak of COVID. COVID had hit, and things of the church weren't going well, and all that was so polarizing, and just all that came with that. And the pastor says that one night he was sitting down on his front porch and he was so discouraged about his church and the direction it was going. And he was complaining and he was grumbling and all these things. And he said, finally, it's like the Holy Spirit impressed upon his heart. You know what? You're blaming this on everybody else, but have you thought about where you're at? And all of a sudden the pastor just kind of got quiet and let the Lord begin to search his heart. And all of a sudden he was convicted about his prayer life. He said, God, I've been wrong. I've been prayerless. He got on his hands and knees and said, Lord, I commit to spend two hours in prayer every evening on this porch until further notice. And he's been doing it for two years now. 
Within three months of what happened that night, they baptized over a thousand people during COVID when no one was coming to church. In the past two years, they baptized over 2,000 people. You know what God's reminding us of? He works powerfully through prayer. Here's the second thing I want to encourage you with tonight. God not only works powerfully through prayer, but we have a good Heavenly Father who will answer. We have a Heavenly Father that loves to give good gifts to His children. Jesus tells us in Luke 18, 1, men and women always ought to pray and not lose heart. For if an unjust judge will give justice to a widow who's nagging him, how much more a heavenly father who loves you with a perfect love and calls you his child wants to give away good gifts to his children? Number three, God works his glory through prayer. Notice what Jesus says in John 14, 13. He tells us four to five times from John 14 to John 16. He says, whatever you ask, whatever you ask, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father goes on display and gets gloried in the Son. In other words, God wants glory more than we want to give him glory. And God says one of the greatest ways he gets glory is when you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is producing his fruit through your life. Jesus Christ goes on display through you and the father gets glory and then people are drawn to that and one of the fruit of walking with jesus is an effective prayer life god works his glory through prayer over the past year and a half as i've been traveling with this team it's been incredible to see god show up and show his glory off through prayer one night we were at a church in indiana and the team was burdened because at this church, though God was working and we'd had good revival meetings, there were no teenagers coming to the service for them to minister to. In fact, just one teenager had been showing up uh, on the given nights and they weren't even coming every night. And so one night before the service, we were having our hour-long prayer meeting and man, we were just seeking God and we were calling out the promises of God. We were making sure we were clean before God. And when we got finished, Joe, the, the tall young man who, who spoke tonight about eternal life, he spoke up and he said, Mark, he said, can I say something? I said, sure, what's up? This is after we'd prayed for about an hour. He said, I'm believing that God's going to triple the amount of teenagers that come into the service tonight. Well, I just kind of looked over at him and I said, well, Joe, amen. Now, can God do that? Sure. Is it guaranteed God's going to do that? No. Is God obligated to do so? No. And I'll be honest with you, even though I grew up in a Bible preaching, gospel preaching, independent Baptist, fundamental church, know all this stuff. I, there's something inside of me that is cynical towards that kind of faith. I'm like, well, you, you know what I wanted to say? When he, when he finished saying that, I, I thought, well, how am I going to explain to Joe after the service on why God didn't do that? And I know we get into all this stuff about name it, claim it. I'm not talking about all that crazy stuff. All I know is we had prayed for an hour. He had sought the heart of God. The Spirit of God put that on his heart, and he said, I just want to let you know, I'm trusting God for that tonight. Now, does, does Joe have a promise to back that up? I think he does. Ephesians 3. Paul said, as you walk with the Lord, and Christ is at home in your heart through faith, and you're being filled with all the fullness of God, watch out, because our God will do abundantly above all that you can even ask or think, according to his glory by Christ Jesus in his church in every generation that includes ours. So the service got started. Team's up on stage singing. I'm sitting down in the front row. Now, I've told them, because we're in churches all over America, different sizes, different 
uh, backgrounds, all these things. And I said, now listen, in every church though, somewhere in the middle of the service, somebody's going to get up and go to the bathroom. And I said, here's what the congregation's going to do because they've never seen anybody go to the bathroom before. That person's going to get up and leave the room and the entire congregation while you're singing is going to go. All right. I said, here's what you are not allowed to do. You're not allowed to watch the person go to the bathroom. I said, we all know what they're doing. We've seen it. It's going to be okay. I said, you stay focused. And I said, because the, the, the people out here, they're going to follow you. And we don't need to do that. We're, we're worshiping. It's okay. They can go to the bathroom. So they knew that. They're up here singing. I'm down on the front row. First song's going on. They're singing. And I'm sitting there watching them. And I'm just like, oh, man, it's going to be a great night. And all of a sudden, like over half of them are looking in the back of the church, and they're doing something like this as they're singing. And then they're, they're like tapping on I mean, like this is a major no-no. They're tapping on each other. And I, I'm, like, I'm sitting on my front row. I'm like, I look at her, my wife, and she's grabbing my arm. She goes, don't kill them. It's okay. Let them finish the song. And I'm trying to get their attention. I'm like, stop it. Stop it. What are you doing? And then finally, because they wouldn't stop, I did something I told myself I'd never do. I turned around and looked. I was like, I am not going to look. I am not going to look. But I looked. And lo and behold, 12 or 13 high school girls walked into the auditorium, had not been there all week, took up two pews. And then I'm sitting there going, There had been one teenager every night. This is like Thursday night. The team went down, ministered the gospel to these teenagers. So after church, I'm like, what in the world happened? So I walk up, and I look at the lady who brought them. And I said, ma'am, who are you? She goes, oh, I don't even go to this church. She goes, but I'm a Christian. And she said, I work at the local public school, and I'm the high school varsity girls basketball coach. I said, okay. She goes, yeah, well, a lady from this church works at the school too. And she goes, today we were making some copies in the school office. And she looked at me and said, man, uh, we got this revival team at our church and God's working. And you ought to come see these 18 and 19 year olds that love Jesus Christ. She goes, my heart has been so blessed. Well, this lady is the coach. And she got to think of herself, I'm going to cancel ball practice tonight. She goes, a lot of my girls don't know Jesus. They need to see this. Now, first of all, the first miracle is they canceled practice. That was the first miracle. I mean, oh my goodness, the whole season's going to fall apart. And then she brought all those girls that night. Now you may say, well, that's just coincidence that Joe prayed that before the service and that that lady was pricked that way that afternoon. I'll just say this, coincidence or not, I've found that those coincidences don't happen when I don't pray. And by the way, after the service, guess who got all the glory? It wasn't Joe. It was God. <laughs> Joe did it again. A few weeks later, we were at a church, and we were having our hour-long prayer meeting before the service, and we're sitting there praying, and we're calling out to God, and we get done. And Joe, Joe doesn't mince words. He either says it or he doesn't say it. We got done praying. Joe raised his hand and said, Pastor Mark, can I run something by you? Yeah, Joe, what's up? He goes, I cannot get it off my heart, but I'm just believing God to save 10 people tonight. I said, 10? Yep. Well, amen, Joe. Good for you, man. Amen. Service started. I preached to the adults. Nothing happened, but what's, what's, what's new? I'm just kidding. That was a joke. 
after the service, I'm shaking hands, the back door's open. And all of a sudden, team members are bringing in teenagers from the teen Bible time and children. And these teens are crying and children are weeping and they're bringing them up to me. He's going, hey, Pastor Mark, can you meet so-and-so? Hey, man, what's your name? Oh, my name's Kevin. Kevin, is there something you want to tell me tonight? He's Kevin standing there, 13, 14 years old. Tonight, I trusted Jesus Christ to save me. I've never done that before. And the tears are just flowing. I meet this little girl. Hi, sweetie, what's your name? My name's Emma. Emma, is there something I can do for you? Tonight, I trusted Jesus. Guess how many trusted Jesus that night? Ten. Guess how many did by the end of the week? Thirteen. Guess who got all the glory? God. God works his glory through prayer. Write these things down and we'll bring some things to a close. Prayer aligns us to his will, his kingdom, his desire and glory. Prayer is heart alignment. Jesus said, our Father which art in heaven, before we even get to talking, let's make sure we get our hearts right. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we wrap this up by understanding how the Bible tells us that if we want to have an effective prayer life, we must meet some conditions. There's some things that God is not going to do for us. Now there's some things God has done. Jesus Christ has paid it all. When he died, the veil of the temple was torn in two. He's signifying that now all who come to him in his name and trust in him now have access to God the Father, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. Jesus did all that work for us. In fact, one of the reasons that prayer is so easy as far as access to God is because Christ has already done all the heavy lifting. But there are some conditions we need to meet if God is going to partner with us, and we're going to partner with God and seeing his kingdom come through our prayer life. So number one, one is spiritually empowered, boiling hot and righteous. James just told us that. You can't do anything apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. We've never once been told as a New Testament believer to walk in the flesh. We are told to walk in the Spirit. So maybe one of the reasons our prayer lives have gotten dull is because we tried to pray outside of the Spirit. We must pray in the Spirit. We live in the Spirit. We're to be filled with the Spirit. But number two, the Bible tells us if you want an effective prayer life that honors God and gets on board with his holy adventure for your life, your prayers must be in the name of Jesus. Jesus tells us at least four times, whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then like if it's too good to be true, he repeats himself. I'm telling you guys, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now you say, wait a second, I've had prayers that I prayed in the name of Jesus and he didn't do it. All right, we're not going to get into all that tonight. We understand God's sovereignty. We understand God says yes, no, and wait. But what I also want you to hold in tension is this. Jesus just said twice, whatever you ask in his name, he'll do. Now, I remember when I first got saved, I heard my grandfather pray in Jesus' name. And I said, granddad, why do we pray in Jesus' name? He said, because it's through Jesus that we get to the Father. But then as I began to study the scriptures, I began to understand that is true, but there's also another truth. When you do something in someone's name, they're putting their stamp of approval on it. I want you to imagine with me, we came in here yesterday and set up here at your church, and I want you to imagine that, you know, I'm talking to Kivit. I've known Kivit like before, well, I haven't known him before he was born, but I remember before he was born. I remember him being a baby, growing up. I got great stories. Come see me after the service. I mean, if there's anyone I know, I've known Kivit for the 35 years of his life. 
I want you to imagine yesterday after we set up, Kivit walks out and says, hey, uh, you heading out? Yeah, I'm heading out. All right, I'll see you later. All right, see you, Kivit. Kivit walks out of the room. I look at all the guys on the team. I said, hey, guys, go to the back of the bus and bring in that five-gallon bucket of hot pink paint. They said, Pastor Mark, why are we doing that? I said, no, 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 you just go get it. Just go get it. Bring it in here. They bring it in here, and they said, what are we going to do with this? I said, you see this brick? I said, it's been like this for years. I said, you know what? I think, and I know Kivit. I mean, I've known him since day one. I think he'd love it if we painted this thing pink. Amen. <laughs> I've been looking for an amen all day, and that's the one y'all said amen for. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, Pastor Mark, you're going to get us in big trouble. I'm like, guys, I have known Kivit before Kivit even knew he was on planet Earth, hardly. I mean, I've known him his whole life. I said, he's going to love it. I mean, I know him. We think alike. We talk alike. We grew up the same way. He's going to love it. Like, if you say so, I said, well, let's roll it. We got some work to do. Then this morning, you come walking into the church, and I'm telling you, Salem Baptist Church is hot pink. Now, Rick probably likes it, but everybody else is a little concerned. <laughs> it's all hot pink, and all of you are going, oh, my word, what has happened? Well, then Kivit walks in. He goes, oh, my word, I'm getting fired. Everybody's running up to Kivit. Pastor, do you know anything about this? He goes, I don't know, I don't know. Well, finally, he looks over at me and goes, Mark, do you know anything about this? I'm like, I sure do. He's like, what do you know? I said, Kivit, we did this yesterday. Who did it? I had the team guys do it. Mark, why would you do that? You're going to get me fired. I said, Kivit, I've known you for 35 years. We did it in your name. He goes, no, you didn't. Can I run something by you? In the name of Jesus is not just something we tack on to the end of our prayers. It means everything about the prayer. Are you walking in the Spirit and saturated with the Word of God in such a way that when you pray, you're praying in the will of God so that when you get done praying, Jesus goes, I can give my thumbs up on that. Let's do it. Jesus says, whatever you ask, here's the condition, in my name, I will do it. We're almost out of time. Let me just share these things with you quickly. The Bible also says that a condition to answered prayer is one must be abiding in God's Word and allowing Christ to make His home in them. You must be abiding in God's Word. That's the intimacy we talked about this morning. Number four, one must obey God's commands and please Him with their lives. John makes it clear. If you're not walking in the commands of God and walking in holiness, you are going to destroy the effectiveness of your prayer life. Holiness and God's working through your prayers go together. And number five, one must ask according to his will. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. As you write these things down, write these final things down, I'm going to tell an illustration and we'll close, and pastor's going to come. The Bible tells us in John 15 that if you have the right kind of prayer life, here's some things you can expect. Take a look. You can expect spiritual fruit. Jesus says one of the ways that you prove that you're his disciples is the spiritual fruit that comes from your life, and he gives us that within the context of prayer in John 15. You can also expect full joy. Jesus said in John 15, as he talks about prayer and fruitfulness, he says, these things I have told you so that your joy may be full. One of the most exciting times I ever see Christians is whenever they led someone to the Lord by sharing the gospel, or God has worked powerfully in their life through prayer. They just want to tell everybody about it because their joy is full. And number three, you can expect effectiveness. 
I close with this. Valerie and I went to Piedmont Bible College. I graduated in 02, and we got married that year right after I graduated, and I moved her back to Denton, which she hasn't forgiven me for that. I was finishing up kind of our last year of ministry there. Kibbit was, we found out yesterday, he was in 10th grade, I believe. And we'd been married about three months, and I was broke and didn't make much money as a youth pastor, and I was trying to learn how to take care of a wife. And she, uh, I looked at her after about three months of being married. I said, sweetie, I said, uh, I want to take you on a date, but you know we don't have much money. I said, but I got to get you out of Denton because there's not much in Denton. I said, where would you like to go? And she goes, I'd like to go to Winston-Salem. I mean, you got to understand, when you live in Denton, Winston-Salem is like New York City. <laughs> I looked at her. I said, yeah, okay. I said, well, that's about 45 minutes away, and we don't have much money. And I was kind of calculating how much gas money that would cost. And I said, sweetheart, where would you like to go? She goes, I want to go to Chili's. And she just grinned from ear, ear to ear, because every once in a while we'd go on a date to Chili's restaurant here in Winston. I said, Okay. So I drive her up to Chili's, and all the way there, I'm kind of quiet because I'm calculating how much money I've got and whether or not I've got gas money to get us back home. And we go into Chili's, and we sit down at the table, and, and uh, we, the waitress brings us our menus, and Valerie's looking at the steak section, and I'm looking at the soup and salad section, and we're kind of getting it all together. And I want her to get what she wants, but I don't know what all that means when the bill comes. And Waitress comes to the table, and she uh, talks to us a little bit, then she goes away, and then she comes back with our drinks, and we, we both ordered water. I, I, please order water, sweetie. It's good for you. And she ordered water. I ordered water. Uh, waitress comes up, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit kind of pricked upon my heart. Hey, why don't you ask her what you can pray for her about? And I'm sitting there arguing with God. Uh, I'm off duty tonight. I've been youth pastoring. I don't make any money. I've been putting up with kids like Kivit Hicks. I'm on the first date I've been on in months. I'm off duty tonight. No, I'm not going to ask her that. I don't want to hear all that. I'm with my wife. You're like, that's horrible. I know it was horrible. Spirit kept convicting my heart, and all of a sudden I realized, if I don't obey, I'm going to leave here tonight in sin. Waitress comes back to the table. I was like, ma'am, I don't remember what her name was. Let's just pretend it was Sarah. I looked at her name tag. It said, Sarah. I said, Sarah, is there anything I can pray for you about? And I'm sitting there going, please don't tell me anything. You know, it's like when you go door to door, you knock on the door and hope nobody comes up to the door. She looked at me. Her face turned all red. She goes, no. And she walks off from the table really abruptly. And I'm sitting there like, Lord, I tried to tell you this was not going to be a good idea. I'm sitting there talking to Valerie. Next thing I know, she comes back to the table and tears are flowing down her face. She said, can I tell you something? I said, sure. She said, I went back to the kitchen. She goes, no one's ever asked me that before. She goes, actually, I have a lot you can pray for me about. She goes, I'm a single mom here in Winston-Salem. She said, uh, I'm raising a little boy by myself. Dad's not in the picture. I'm living with my parents and I'm working two to three jobs just to put food on the table. She goes, I don't know how in the world I'm going to do it. By the way, she's part of your 1%. I said, we'll pray for you. I prayed for her. Valerie and I enjoyed the rest of the meal, and towards the end of the meal, she brought the bill. 
And she laid it there on the table, and I picked it up, and I looked at it. Now, back in those days, I think the meal was like $20. And you understand, 20-some years ago, that $20 is like the equivalent of like 40 or 50 And then when you were as broke as I was, it was like $100. And I looked down, and I saw $20 there. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me, because we didn't go out to eat much, and I was kind of new at this thing. There was this place for the tip. And I thought, I forgot about that. I had been calculating gas money and the money for the meal, and I thought, oh my goodness, the tip. I don't have enough money to leave her a tip. And all of a sudden, the Lord put on my heart, hey, you know that verse, uh, don't just pray for somebody, but if it's in your hand to help them, help them. And she's already told you she needs help, so she needs you to pray for and help her. Oh my goodness. And all of a sudden, $20 came to my mind, the price of the meal. And I'm arguing with God. I mean, God and I are having a major argument. And all of a sudden, I knew if I did not write $20 in that tip section, I would be disobeying the Lord. I'd begrudgingly, like Jonah going to Nineveh, wrote $20 in the tip section, totaled it, it was $40. I mean, I could not, I felt like I was, I felt like I'd bought a house. (laughs) I closed the bill. Valerie reaches up, grabs the bill. She grabs it, looks at it. And she kind of starts like talking out loud, singing, and she starts like moving around. Now, she graduated from Piedmont. Her dad was a Baptist pastor, independent, fundamental, you know, that whole thing. Like, we don't do that. We don't dance. We don't get excited. We don't do that kind of thing. And she's starting to embarrass me. She's like, hallelujah, and moving around, dancing. I mean, like, kind of Pentecostal. And we're newly married, and I look at her, and I'm like, hey, sweetie, and and I had red hair at the time. It's all gray now, and my face is turning red. I'm like, hey, sweetie, people are starting to look at us. She's like, I know. Isn't it great? I'm like, could you stop it? She's like, no. I'm like, stop it right now. And she wouldn't, and I thought, well, she hadn't learned how to submit to me yet. (laughs) And I'm like, please stop it now. You are embarrassing me to death. And she's just going at it. Finally, I got so upset. I looked at her and said, let's just leave. She goes, okay. I'll never forget. She gets up, walks out of the booth, walks down the aisle. People are sitting there eating, and they're watching her. And she's like, I'm not even going to do it on camera because I don't want this to go out on the live feed. She's like doing this little dance. And I'm like, we don't dance. And she dances all the way out to the car. We get in the car. I am so embarrassed, and I'm so upset. I look at her, it's like, what is wrong with you? And she won't answer. She's like laughing and hallelujah and all this stuff. I'm like, Valerie, I know. This is what I told her. I was like, I know, I'm a great guy. I left her $20. And all of a sudden, she stopped dancing and praising and all this stuff. She looked over at me and she goes, oh, that's not why I'm all excited. I said, well, then what in the world are you excited about? She said, what you don't know is after you prayed for her the first time, In my heart, God led me to pray that you would leave her the $20. And then all of a sudden, I did something that I never did during my Piedmont days. I got that little holy dance going on too. And we shouted and praised and we were overflowed with joy for two to three miles. And for the first time in my life, I understood what Jesus said in John 15. When you get your fruit right by the power of the Holy Spirit and you get in line with me and you get your prayer life right where we're walking hand in hand, he said, I promise you, I'm not a killjoy God. Your joy will be full. Tonight, is your joy full? 
Maybe you're going, yeah, my joy would be full if my circumstances are better. And maybe God's saying, no, I'd like to teach you something new. I'd like to get your joy full by getting your prayer life right.